All right, good morning, Restoration. Y'all can go ahead and take your seats. Glad to see everyone here this post day after Christmas, get into worship together. As many of you all know, my, actually I can take this off, Whew, I forgot, since I'm preaching I can take this off, this is awesome. Uh, as many of you all know, my name is Zach, I'm one of the pastors here, it's good to be with you this morning. For anyone who is new or visiting, we welcome you, we're glad you're with us on uh, this day after Christmas, and this morning uh, for our sermon we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 verses 22 to 40. So if you wanted to grab a pew Bible in front of you, that's page 857, or you can turn to it on your phones or scroll to it, I guess, technically, on your phones. Um, and while you're getting there, let me just catch you all up to speed. You know, if you've been with us the past few weeks, our Advent series was looking at the infancy narratives of Jesus, right? We looked at uh, Mary being visited by the angel. We looked at the shepherds, the wise men, Jesus being born in a manger. And since, you know, te Advent's technically over, so I guess that sermon series is over. I don't have a revisionist theme today. Um, but, you know, there's one infancy narrative that we didn't look at uh, during all of our time uh, in, the, in these uh, Gospels the last few weeks. So I thought it'd be good to go ahead and look at this passage of Luke chapter 2. It's the last passage of Jesus uh, as a little baby before the Gospels go ahead and jump to him as a teenager or as an adult. So we wanted to continue to consider uh, this last Sunday before the new year who Jesus is and what it means for him to come uh, into the world and coming down to us. So let's go ahead and read the passage. I'll read it, then I'll pray, and then we will go ahead and jump in uh, to God's word. So Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they, as Jesus' parents, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what he had said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for giving us your word, giving us your testimony of what you've done for us, the fact that you've come to us, uh, that you, Jesus, uh, came down as God himself uh, to give us comfort 
and to give us peace. And as we look at your word this morning, I pray that each of us would be comforted and consoled, that we'd be encouraged and challenged as we learn and consider and experience more of who you are, learn more of who we are and what that means for your story. And I pray this all in your son, Jesus' name. So the title of this sermon uh, was called The Consolation. And so I'm going to start off with a little story uh, about myself that in which there was not much consolation or comfort. This was actually just a few days ago where it felt like it was one of those mornings where everything went wrong. It was on Wednesday. So life circumstances, I got away from the house later than I wanted. And of course, I was wanting to prepare the sermon so I could you know, get the work done before Christmas Eve and Christmas. And I decide, well, I'm having lunch with the youth, so I'm going to go work at a coffee shop right next to Chick-fil-A to maximize efficiency. Well, I get there, and my car dies as I'm, like, pulling into the parking lot. You know, people are honking, get out of the way. I'm like, trust me, I want to get out of the way. Thankfully, it came back on, but now the hour and a half that I had was dealing with this car. You know, what am I going to do? Now i got to call the mechanics, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, long story short, I decided to go back home so that I could use our other car because I wanted something more reliable. I didn't want to die on the way, or not literally die, but the car to die on the way to Chick-fil-A and then to the youth's house. By this point, I'm already late. I turn on the car, and he's looking at me through the window, and there's a big E-light, and I'm like, you know, now i got to go get gas. So I'm late. i got to get gas. I decide I'm going to maximize efficiency again because Chick-fil-A is kind of out of the way. So I had been texting the parent, let's just do McDonald's. There's one next to your house. I try to do it on the app because it's like 12 and lines are long at 12. Every location on this app worked but the McDonald's next to this person's house. So I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I pick a McDonald's that's, you know, somewhat on the way as much as I can. I order. I pull into the curbside. I click I'm here. And it says, error, can't process payment. Go through drive-thru or go inside. And I'm like, that's what I didn't want to do. So I go inside. It takes a while come back out. I have a lot of food in my hand. I thought I had securely moved my coffee, but of course I didn't apparently. So I put the drinks in the cup holder. And when I do that, the coffee, which is a macchiato spills all over the passenger seat. So now my car looks like Brian's car when he had kids. Um, It might be God's judgment for me not drinking black coffee. I don't know. Uh, But that was my morning. It was just two hours of just constant, like one thing after another. And at the time, it felt like suffering. You know, at the time, I was like, how long, oh, Lord? Um, but it was ultimately ended up being fine. The afternoon was great. I got to work on this, you know, sermon, and it ended up being a great illustration. So the Lord was letting me work without me knowing. Um, and I say that comically, of course, but I think the reality is, is that there are things that are a lot more serious, right, going on in many of our lives, whether that's mine and my family's, I know for sure in this congregation there's many more serious sufferings and grief and despair that we've seen or experienced. And, of course, if you, you know, just look at news or, or anything, of course, the world has a lot more serious things going on. And so, of course, the question is, you know, where do we find consolation and comfort in the midst of these things? Where do you find consolation when you read of another coronavirus variant and you Maybe your anxiety, your depression ramps up. You start to think about, you know, is this going to go on forever? If you work in the medical field, I know a lot of people here work in the medical field. Like when that news comes, the tiredness and exhaustion of the last two years, where do we find consolation in comfort? Where do you find consolation in the holidays? Of course, uh, Christmas season is joyous. 
uh, for many, and, and there might be joy for you, but that could be mixed with uh, suffering and despair and sadness, whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's a broken marriage that now, you know, I know Annie and I have to deal with this of like, who do we spend Christmas with? And now we got to share time. Maybe it's um, work. Maybe it's youth. I'm sorry to bring this up. You passed your exams and you're on break, but in nine days that starts again, right? So where do we find comfort in that? Because then you got to do it again in college. And then you got to do it again when you apply for a job. And then you got to do it again when you want to switch careers. And it can just keep going on. So where do we find consolation in all these things? Is there any comfort? Is there any hope? Is there any light in this darkness? And of course, I would say yes. That's why we're here this morning uh, to see that and to hear that. And we have that story of Jesus being presented here with Simeon and Anna, and they see salvation. They see consolation. So we have a similar situation. We just looked at this text here. Simeon and Anna are in Jerusalem, ordinary people, living out their lives, but they too are experiencing uh, suffering, and they've experienced um, grief. And so when you think about Israel over the past 2,000 years and how they were exiled to Egypt and then escaped, and then they exiled again to Babylon, and then they came back, but now they're ruled by Rome, you know, Israel at this time and Simeon and Anna are wondering, you know, why is this suffering going on for so long? Why is it this tiring? Why are things this bad? Where's the comfort, Lord? Where's the consolation? that you promised to your people so long ago. And so they see the answer. They see the consolation not as an abstract idea or an abstract feeling, but in a real tangible presentation of this baby, Jesus. The hope of their Messiah is there at the temple. They see Jesus coming as the fulfillment of God's promise of comfort to them. And so today we'll see that God has done the same thing for us. And we're going to look specifically at how Simeon and Anna respond uh, in this reality as we think about um, our own circumstances. So because God comforts his people, we can wait. And I wrote, I promise I wrote this before Dan's little Devo on Christmas Eve, if you were here, where he talked about waiting. My first point is also waiting, uh, but it's a good reminder, right? So the first point is we can wait. If you look at verses 25 and 26 again, and if you look at verse 38, in both of those instances, what does it say? It says that Simeon, a man righteous and devout, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then if you go down to verse 38, what does it say about Anna? It says, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak to him, speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So in describing both of these people, there's similar language, right? One's waiting for the consolation of Israel. One's waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. These are actually basically synonymous terms that, that bookend the story of, of what we have. And let's just pause for a second as we think about that term. We're going to focus more on consolation than redemption in this sermon. You'll see why as we, as we go through it. But what is consolation? Consolation means to alleviate uh, sorrow, to alleviate grief, to alleviate suffering. And in a more positive way, it means to give comfort or to give solace um, from those sufferings. And so that is what God's people are waiting for. They're waiting for this comfort, this solace from God um, from their suffering and their grief, not just personally as Simeon and Anna themselves who have suffered. I mean, Anna lost her husband when she would have been probably like 22. And she's been a widow for at least over 60 years now. 
but also as a nation, as I mentioned, they're wondering where's this comfort and solace coming from. You know, Rome's controlling Israel at this point, and they're wondering where God is. So what's interesting is that this language of consolation through the Old Testament ends up becoming Messiah language. So if you were to go back and find this word for consolation in the Old Testament, it usually is attached to the Messiah's arrival. And it most is commonly seen in Isaiah. That's the book where it appears the most. And as one author put it, the word consolation becomes a symbol of the arrival of the end times when God fulfills his promise to Israel. And without going in a million rabbit trails that are really, really amazing and how Luke is connecting us to the uh, story in Isaiah throughout this time, uh, we're just going to focus on one chapter, Isaiah 40, as we look a little bit about that. And so many of you who have grown up in the church might uh, know these verses from Isaiah, uh, but even if you are other than Christian, you might know these famous words from Isaiah because it's the opening words to the famous symphony, Handel's Messiah. Maybe you all have been listening to that this season, um, as it is the Christmas season, but do you guys know how that symphony starts off, the very first movement of the symphony with words? Anyone know it? Anyone want to dare to sing it? (laughs) Um, Where it says, comfort ye my peace. Okay, I'm going to stop. Steve, I can join the worship team if you want. Um, So, comfort ye my people. That's the very first words of Handel's Messiah, but what that is is the very first words of Isaiah 40, where it says, comfort, comfort my people. And this is almost an exact presentation of what Luke says Simeon is waiting for, and all of the verses in Isaiah that Luke is kind of, you know, referencing here is speaking about the survival of, of the Messiah. So if you were to go back and read Isaiah 40, some of the things of, of what it means when the Messiah comes is that war is ended, iniquities pardon. It's the same chapter where we get prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John the Baptist says over and over again in the Gospels. It says the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it. Simeon is waiting for this consolation. Anna is waiting for this consolation. So it's kind of like Christmas, right? Kids, y'all just opened Christmas presents yesterday. Probably very joyous, right? But was it hard to wait for Christmas? Yeah, very hard. I know for me at least, December was rough as a kid because I was waiting. But once school was out, like the last five days before Christmas were some of the worst. Because you're waiting and you know for sure Christmas is coming. You can't wait to wake up and open uh, these presents. And to a certain extent, uh, that's basically what's happening with Simeon. See, what's interesting is that it's not just a vague promise of in the future I will give you comfort. But for Simeon, we read that the Spirit had revealed to him, no, you will actually see the consolation of Israel before you die. And we don't know how long he waited, which is really interesting. Is it Was it six months, two years, 50 years? It doesn't give us his age like we do for Anna. But think about that. Like every single morning you wake up and he's wondering, is this the day that I get to see the consolation of Israel? What about today? What if I go to temple today and now I see Messiah? You know? But that hopeful expectation as he's waiting for this consolation. And the same is true, of course, for us as we wait for God's return. He says he will come at a time that we don't expect. And so one question that does come up, though, maybe you've already thought about it, you know, waiting, it's easy to say. How do we actually wait in the moment, day in, day out? I think 
Simeon and Anna give us a little bit of a picture of that. If you were to go back and look at verses, uh, for example, 26 again, 25, 26, it says that Simeon was a man who was righteous and devout. So even though he was waiting on the Lord, uh, he continued to follow the Lord, follow the commands of the Lord. He was still going to the temple, right? He had a deep, sincere faith that God was going to do what he promised, and he was walking in those ways. If you go down and read, of course, in Anna, verses 37, 38, it says that she was never leaving the temple, you know, worshiping with fasting and prayer as she waited for the redemption of Israel. And so we may not live in Jesus' time. Of course, we don't see a baby boy brought before us and we start to worship him, but um, we still experience uh, this same weariness for the world as we wait, right? Suffering, the broken dreams, being sinned against, seeing ourselves overwhelmed by news. But God promised consolation, and he began that fulfillment when Jesus is first coming. And we have, of course, now have a more sure foundation of, okay, he has come the first time to start that consolation, to inaugurate that eternal consolation. And in the midst uh, of waiting, in the midst of our broken hearts, in the midst of separated marriages and pandemic viruses and maybe economic uncertainty is a thing that, that you're worried about, we still wait, right, in righteousness and devoutness and worship and fasting and prayer because we know that God will comfort. He will console and he will come again to consummate that. To end this point, I love the way one author put it, and this is why I think it's so important to, to talk about waiting again, even though we did discuss it on Christmas Eve. One author put it, Simeon and Anna were waiting for fulfillment, but this is what it means to be a believer. It means waiting in faith for God to do what God's promised. Right? That's what it means to be a believer. That's what Simeon and Anna are doing, waiting for fulfillment, waiting in faith for God to do what God has promised. So we wait for the consolation, and what's glorious about this passage or what's really neat about this infancy story of Jesus is that we're not just left there hanging where they wait and the story ends, close scene, on to the next scene, right? But we actually see in this story that they actually see consolation. So we wait for God's consolation, but what do we do uh, when we see it? Well, we worship. That's the next thing that Simeon and Anna do. If you were to look at verses uh, 28 and 38 again, uh, verses 28 for Simeon, it says that he took him up in his arms. So he took Jesus after seeing him. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And then he goes into his song, right? And then same thing for Anna. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. So in both these cases, Simeon and Anna were waiting for the consolation of Israel, but upon seeing the consolation of Israel, they begin to worship. So what's interesting, I think, about this backdrop when we think about waiting and worshiping is that Jesus is in the temple at this point, right? The Luke begins in the temple in Luke chapter 1. We're still in the temple uh, at the end of this birth narrative of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. And as one author put it, the temple was the nerve center of Jewish worship. The temple is the site for the praise of Jesus. And why that's important is because the temple was where God was supposed to be. That's where God's presence was said to be. And he actually was there in the, in, as a baby, as Jesus. And he was being worshipped as he was supposed to be. So this temple has a significant piece to, to Luke's narrative. In the temp, um, but looking at then, going through the hymnal verses now, looking a little bit about 
the consolation that uh, Simeon was waiting for, and he's in the temple worshiping. When he goes into this song of worship, he actually parses out what it means for us to see and to experience uh, the consolation of Israel. So first off, you look at the verses uh, 29 through 32. It says that he can depart in peace because his eyes have seen salvation and that it's in the presence of all peoples. And so this peace that Simeon is referring to is the comfort of knowing that God's work comes to fulfillment. Right? And we remember we discussed uh, Isaiah 40 a little bit ago, and some language here comes up with that again. In Isaiah 40, verse 5, it says that um, the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. So as Simeon is, is singing these words, he's picking up that language again of seeing salvation and that it'll be in the presence of all people. Now, something else that's really interesting about these verses is that that word people there is almost always used only for the people of God. If they weren't talking about the people of God, they would use the word Gentiles. But Luke hints at that, right? It's not just people, it's all people. So what is he saying? And of course, that gets basically explained in the very next line where it says it's a revelation, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for his people Israel. It's Messiah language. So God's people are not just Israel, but we see in this song that God's people are everywhere. Both Israelite and Gentile are God's people. Both Israelite and Gentile are meant to experience the comfort and the consolation of God as he has come down to us. And what's the glory of Israel is not that, you know, they are special and better than everyone else, but if you were to just look at the narrative of the Old Testament, Genesis 12, right? Through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And when Moses brought the people out to the promised land, Israel was meant to be a place as a light for all the nations to gather to them. That's why God placed them really in the center of the world at that time. And then similarly for David, when we think about the promise to David, he's supposed to be the king of Israel, but he's also supposed to be the king of the world, ruling with justice and righteousness. And so Simeon is singing of this consolation and worshiping at the fact that it's peace and salvation for all people, as God has promised. So these truths, peace, salvation, redemption, including all of people in God's plan, that is comfort. And Simeon and Anna are in the temple, the lifeblood of the Jewish nation, they receive that, they worship, and with that, that's of course what we can do. When we experience salvation ourselves, when we see the consolation of Israel, we respond in worship, and we do that even in our liturgy every Sunday. And of course, like I mentioned a little bit ago, we don't have uh, the baby Jesus in front of us, but what we do have is his testimony, his word that he has left us, that we read each day, probably in our homes, that we come and read from and preach from each Sunday morning, this is the testimony that we get to see Jesus and to experience him from his word. And that's why we have such a big emphasis of translating the Bible in all languages, because it's not meant for just the Jewish nation, but it's for all people around the world. So just as Simeon and Anna worshiped at seeing this consolation, I hope that we do as well, even on this day after Christmas where we've celebrated his coming, that we would respond in worship. So Simeon and Anna waited for the consolation of Israel. When consolation came, they worshiped. But remember that this was not alone. So we just said this was in the temple, the capital of Jerusalem, the place to be, like, I, like the Times Square 
of Jerusalem, that's the temple. So this is not happening in isolation. And if you look at verse 38 again, what does Anna do after she has worshipped and seen consolation? It says that she spoke of him, that's Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of, his, of Jerusalem. So they waited, they worshipped, and here we see that Anna witnessed to who Jesus was. And she spoke of God's consolation to all who were around her. And what's really interesting is, you know, Luke points out that she's from the tribe of Asher. So the reason that we think that's important is because Asher was one of the ten tribes that rejected the king in the line of David, way back in 1 Kings. Asher is part of the ten tribes that said, no, we don't want to be a part of this. We're going to do our own thing. They separate. They end up getting exiled themselves by the Assyrians. So the fact that she's from that tribe, she's here in Jerusalem witnessing us, this picture of Israel coming back together to actually worship their king, but then witnessing to everyone who's around them that it's not just for them, right? It's actually for the Gentiles and for the Jewish people. So for many of us here each Sunday morning, we come to worship. Uh, many here probably consider ourselves Christians, and so we rightly come to praise and give thanks, to be encouraged, to be challenged uh, by the Lord, but that doesn't mean our lives are perfect. We still have to face the suffering of daily life and, and everything that I mentioned at the start of this sermon, but we come together as a community not to worship alone, but a part of it is to witness to one another as we sing, as we greet, as we fellowship, as we break bread, as we take communion together, we remind each other of the comfort and consolation that's offered to us through God. But even more so than that, uh, that's also for anyone here who's other than Christian. This is, again, not an exclusive thing, but this is for all people. And so if you're here wondering, where do I find consolation? Where do I find comfort? Who is this Jesus that people celebrate and worship every Christmas? This is this boy Jesus that has come. And we want to witness and be an example of that truth, model it and speak it and share it. And I'll add even more so, more important than anyone who's in this room or watching online, our witness is even more so for people who are not in this room. The people that maybe have not heard or experienced or seen God's consolation and comfort, but that we would take this good news out to them because the good news of consolation and comfort is that it's for everyone. So we wait, we worship, we witness to everyone. And if I just want to add, if you're maybe nervous about witnessing to people, I know that is a hard thing for me. Uh, one thing that I always like to be reminded of is that we're all made in God's image which means we actually all have similar, generally speaking, the same longings of the heart. Comfort, peace, safety, rest. And I like to try and teach that uh, to the youth, um, that whatever you do, whatever sport, whatever movies you watch, TV shows, songs you listen to, what's fascinating is since we're made in God's image, that means all of these cultural things, these things that we create, have gospel touch points and gospel narratives. And so a few examples of that, of course, if you look at 20th century the three biggest, most successful narratives of the 20th century, Lord of the Rings, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, and Harry Potter, right? Millions and millions of copies sold. I'm in like a Lord of the Rings Facebook group because that's how much I love it. So many people there are not Christians, but it touches on what people long for and want because of the gospel narrative. And then another example of that is uh, Mumford and Sons. 
when I was in college, which was, I can't believe it was already 10 years ago, Mumford and Sons blew up on the scene. And I like these lyrics that were at the very last song of, the last words of the last song on their second album. They might be Christians, I don't know. They would never identify as that. But what's important is just the fact that their music resonates with so many people because I think, I think it speaks to the consolation and comfort and longing that everyone wants. And so these are last words. It says, we will run and scream. You will dance with me. They'll fulfill our dreams and we'll be free. We'll be who we are. We'll heal our scars and sadness will be far away. Don't let my fickle flesh go to waste as it keeps my heart and soul in its place. And I will love with urgency and not with haste. This is the longing, the consolation, the comfort that as we witness, people rejoice in singing about. That's why people love their music or their songs. And it's a comfort. What's interesting in terms of witnessing is that God didn't just come here for us to like receive the words of comfort and experience it and then be done. Right? The gospel is the fact that he gives us that, but then he enlists us and he enables us to be a part of it as we go out. And so one example of that um, I love from 2 Corinthians 1, the first, verses 3 to 5. Listen to how many times the word comfort comes up. And then this is the actual same word for consolation in Luke. So the consolation in Luke and the comfort in these verses. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in an affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So he enlists us to participate in this witness of consolation. We worship and we witness while we wait because we know that God's promised consolation comes. And if you were to step back and see all of Luke, this picture that he's giving us, it was for the shepherds who were in the field, lowly, common folk. That was the story right before this one. It's for men and women, as we see in this passage. It's for the religious and the common. It's for Jew and Gentile, as uh, Simeon sings about. But we witness because it's for all people. So as we conclude, I just want to say it's probably important to recognize that in the midst of this hope, in the midst of this consolation and comfort that we receive, it doesn't immediately wipe away our sufferings, right? So many of us, all of us, are still going to walk out here in about, who knows, 15, 20 minutes, however long that takes, um, with the same burdens that I maybe have mentioned at the start, and probably many more burdens of, of sorrow or despair or grief that I didn't mention. And the consolation that we have is the surety of the promise that the experience of the inauguration of our consolation, because Jesus has come down to us, because Jesus has met us in the dark moments, that not only did he meet us there to say, like, I'm so sorry you're going through it, but he actually experienced it himself by dying on the cross, being separated from God. And then that consolation is the fulfillment of the promise, knowing that he will come to finalize the comfort and consolation. He will come back again just as he came the first time. And we will look to that restoration where our tears will be wiped away, our sadness will be no more. We can continue to wait in righteousness and devoutness and worship with fasting and prayer. We can worship the Lord already as he's giving us everything we need, particularly himself. 
and we can witness to those around us that not only has consolation come, but that consolation is actually offered to them as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you that you have come down to us, that we did not have to earn our right to be before you. We did not have to prove ourselves. We did not have to show that we deserved anything, but that we actually didn't deserve anything. But you loved us so much, you came down to give us consolation. You came down to us to give us comfort. As we celebrate you this Christmas season, as we did yesterday, your birth, may we go out being willing to wait for your coming again, that we would worship you in that waiting period, and that we would also witness to those around, the, around us that consolation is offered to them. Amen. All right.